This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone. This is Tulsi here. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on the show. If you would like to support this show and the content that we're creating as we take a stand for freedom and speak truth and speak with some common sense during these insane times, please visit TulsiGabbard.com and click on the support button. Uh, The only way that we're able to produce this show is through support from listeners and viewers just like you. Again, visit TulsiGabbard.com and click support. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Tulsi Gabbard Show. The the mere fact that we can sit here together today is because we live in a country that was founded on the principles of freedom. Inalienable God-given rights enshrined in our Constitution and inherent to each of us. The right to free speech, uh, freedom of religion, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness— Our civil liberties that are spelled out in the Constitution act as a restraint on how our government um, can treat us. Now, these rights are called negative rights because they dictate not what our government can provide for us, but instead what they cannot take away. The right to freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the right to a free press, the right to privacy and private property— are just a few of these. Now, our civil liberties ensure that we can live free from arbitrary government interference in these pursuits. While these things may sound very obvious to us today, like, of course, this is important. This is uh, foundational to who we are as a country. This was a really revolutionary concept when our founding fathers uh, enshrined these rights and freedoms in our Constitution these rights and freedoms that continue to serve as a foundation for our democracy. The antithesis of liberty is tyranny. And over time, we have seen how some of our presidents have abused their power. They've sought to create or take advantage of a crisis so that they can amass more power in the executive branch, weakening Congress, the people's house, the people's representatives, the people's voice, 
And frankly, Congress has let it happen. Now, if we go back and look at what happened after 9-11, our country was reeling. People were afraid. Congress took action to pass the Patriot Act and create secret FISA courts that allowed the Bush administration at that time and subsequent presidents from both parties since to take away our civil liberties, to conduct warrantless surveillance of Americans, directly violating our Fourth Amendment right to privacy, which ensures the right of people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. Now, one would have thought that any legislation that uh, proposed these extreme anti-constitutional measures would have been highly controversial, would have been hotly contested. You would have members of Congress standing on the floor of the House and Senate debating rigorously how to strike this balance of security and freedom. You would think there would be people in the media, on television every night during this critical time, debating this issue and talking about perhaps if we need to pass certain things we need to make sure that the scope is very narrow, that we are upholding our constitutional rights and civil liberties, and making sure that uh, there are clear objectives and a well-defined deactivation of these rules or restrictions or regulations. But that didn't happen. It didn't happen. The Patriot Act passed the House with only 66 out of 435 members voting against it. It passed the Senate with a vote of 98 to 1. Russ Feingold, a Democrat, was the lone no vote against the Patriot Act in the Senate. Now, this happened, you know, in, in the days and weeks following 9-11. We are now in the year 2022, and every time the Patriot Act comes up for reauthorization in Congress, it is reauthorized with a rubber stamp of overwhelming bipartisan support from permanent Washington. When I was serving in Congress, I introduced legislation that would have repealed these violations of our civil liberties from the Patriot Act and ended the secret FISA courts. But even when Democrats were in charge in Congress, the Democrats who represent the party that should be standing up for civil liberties and freedom, they refused to even consider it for a vote, whether it was my bill or anyone else's. And again, when those reauthorization votes come up, those who dare speak in opposition, people like myself and a few others, we're labeled traitors. How dare you must hate America. You must want terrorists to come and attack us again and launch another 9-11 style terrorist attack on us, fomenting this fear so that they can continue to take away our freedoms and liberties. There's no room for debate. They would not allow for discussion, no consideration made whatsoever around protecting our civil liberties. A lot of lip service, maybe, but when you look at their votes and you look at their actions, they chose to strengthen Big Brother, the government, the national security state, permanent Washington, at the cost of our civil liberties and freedoms. And so as a result, now we live in a country where no personal records are safe from the intrusive eyes of Big Brother. Any American can now be wiretapped and the rights of habeas corpus are no longer guaranteed. The Patriot Act allows the government to operate with increasing secrecy, 
very little to no transparency, and we, the American people, lose more and more of our liberty. Now, this is really important to remember as leaders in Washington are using Ukraine as they wage a proxy regime change war against Russia, that they continue to escalate, risking World War III and pushing us to the brink of a nuclear holocaust that would destroy this world as we know it. Because one of the things that comes with being in a war footing is martial law. And whether they call it martial law and declare martial law or not, we have seen throughout history how leaders will use this war footing as an excuse to abuse their power and take away our freedoms. Now, we're not in this place yet, but we're already seeing how dangerous it is to stand up against warmongers without being silenced, smeared, canceled, discredited, or threats made that jeopardize a person's freedom and livelihood, their ability to support themselves and their families. They do this because they do not want opposition. All they want is compliance. Another law that I want to focus on here that is just as egregious as the Patriot Act in violation, violating our civil liberties and due process is the Espionage Act. Now, unless you've been really paying attention, it's possible you've never even heard of this. It was a law that was passed in 1917 and from the very beginning was used to jail Americans who spoke out against our involvement in World War I. So you see how these tactics today have been used for quite some time. Since its inception, the Espionage Act has been used to undermine the First Amendment rights of Americans. It's been used as a tool to selectively punish and target political opponents of those in power. And in recent years, it has been weaponized to attack and threaten a free press. One of the most famous cases that has gotten the most coverage in the mainstream media was when Daniel Ellsberg was tried under the Espionage Act and sentenced to 115 years in prison. 115 years in prison because he released the Pentagon Papers that exposed the truth about what our leaders were doing and how they were lying to the American people about the Vietnam War. Uh, this case ended up being thrown out by a judge after learning that the government was illegally spying on Ellsberg and wiretapping him. But others have been charged under the Espionage Act since. President Obama has the distinction of making history because of his prolific use of going after people under the Espionage Act. During his tenure, eight people were charged with leaking national security details to the media under the Espionage Act, including Edward Snowden. This was more than all previous administrations combined. The list of ways that our government continues to violate our civil liberties is long. I'm gonna go over just a couple of them before we get to our conversation with a really special guest. Recent legislation that was enacted requires banks to report to the IRS when someone transfers more than $600 to another person using an app like Venmo or the Cash App. Why does the IRS need to know this? When supposedly they're focusing their limited resources and their new $79 billion bill and the 89,000 new IRS agents that they're hiring on targeting the wealthiest of Americans who are exploiting tax loopholes to avoid paying taxes on all their money. 
no one can be faulted for not trusting the IRS, especially after during the Obama administration, they specifically targeted conservative organizations that had the word patriot in their name. One of the most egregious violations of due process is another thing that is very, very uh, uh, rarely focused on, but is happening across the country on any given day. And that is the corrupt system of civil asset forfeiture. This is when the government takes it upon themselves to come and seize the property from law-abiding Americans who have not even been charged with the crime and may never be charged with a crime. Uh, one story uh, I'll share with you, unfortunately there are many, but one in particular has to do uh, with a young man pursuing a career in the music industry. A guy named Joseph Rivers, 22 years old. He bought a one-way train ticket to Los Angeles and had some money saved up that he took with him to get his life started there. Well, for the DEA agents who confronted him, that act alone, uh, along with the fact that he was traveling with what they viewed was a large amount of cash, was suspect enough to assume that this young man was engaged in some kind of drug trafficking or narcotic activity. Now, other passengers on that Amtrak train noted that uh, Rivers, who's a young African-American man, he was the only passenger on that train to be singled out by the DEA. Rivers' attorney said uh, Rivers' race likely played a role in that as he was the only black passenger on his section of the train. But during uh, this search and seizure of the cash that Rivers was carrying with him as he was going to start out a new life, he said he cooperated throughout the entire time, telling the DA, hey, call my mom, call my mom, and she'll tell you that I am who I say I am and that I'm doing what I say I'm doing. And as the agents took his money, he asked them, how am I going to survive? If you take away my money, I'm not even going to be able to go home. And according to Rivers, the DEA agents, he says, quote, inform me that it was my responsibility to figure it out. Rivers was never charged with any crime. And there's no indication that he ever will be. But the DEA was still legally allowed to seize the $16,000 in cash that he carried, giving an explanation saying, well, we don't have to prove that the person is guilty. It's that the money is presumed to be guilty. This happens more often than we realize. And in most cases, unless a person has the resources, the time, and the energy to sue the law enforcement agency and sue the government to get their property back, that property is never returned. And too often law enforcement agencies See, take advantage of this civil asset forfeiture law as a means of funding, <laughs> of bringing more resources to their department. Another example we've seen most recently, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, has demanded that credit card companies keep track of any and all firearm ammunition related purchases. That those purchases, when you go into Dick's Sporting Goods or, uh, I don't know, some other um, uh, establishment and you buy some ammunition. Well, Elizabeth Warren wants that to be annotated and coded separately from anything else you might purchase in there and potentially marked and reported for suspicious activity. This is a direct violation of our privacy. So through these examples and more, we can see how dangerous it is when we have people in power who have no respect for the Constitution 
and who have taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution, but don't take it seriously, and worse yet, reject it. They show there are no boundaries. They see themselves as rulers, and we are their subjects. They know what's best for us better than we do for ourselves. And because of that, they see themselves as being entitled to any and every part of our lives. My guest today has dedicated his life to defending our civil liberties. He knows how dangerous a tyrannical government that takes away our rights can be. His name is literally synonymous with the word libertarian. Uh, I'm talking about my friend Ron Paul. He's a doctor who's delivered over 4,000 babies. He is someone who has served our country in uniform, serving both in the Air Force and the Air National Guard. And he also served in Congress. He ran for president three times. And after leaving Washington in 2013, he launched the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, a foreign policy think tank that continues to do incredibly important work today, dedicated to peaceful foreign policy and defending our civil liberties. Ron Paul is a New York Times number one best-selling author, as well as a current host of the Ron Paul Liberty Report. Please join me in welcoming my guest and my friend, Dr. Ron Paul. Thank you. It's good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Are you halfway around the world? I am. <laughs> on, the, on the most the most remote island chain in the world. <laughs> I, I had a medical conference there many, many years ago. And all I remember about it is I saw a beautiful sunset. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that means it was a great trip. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, when, was, when was the last time you were out here? It's... Uh, it's been a long time because I was there with a medical conference after I was in the military, but I was there oh, okay. uh, and then I, I learned a little bit about the military uh, and you know a little bit about the military. They take Just care of themselves bit. and there's a, a little base they had there on the beach. Do they still have that? They do. You were probably at, you were in the air force. So you were at Hickam air force base, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they have some of the most beautiful secret secluded beach spots, um, you know, nice little cafes and bars and things overlooking <laughs> yeah. the water. It's it's not a bad place. So that's the reason that we stopped in Hawaii for sure. <laughs> nice, exactly. So well, I think I think we're ready. If you are, I'm ready. Sure thing. All right, cool. Um, we'll we'll just get right into it. You know, um, I got to tell you, Ron, we've never actually met in person. But uh, over time, and especially during uh, my presidential campaign, when we had one of our first conversations, when I was a guest on your show, um, immediately I felt like, you know, we were just kindred <laughs> spirits. Um, yes. You know, the fact that we have a shared background of having served in uniform in the military, you, uh, you were a flight surgeon in the Air Force, is that right? Right. Uh, and you also served in the Air National Guard, obviously served in Congress and and I think one of the things that that really um, hit home for me was how you know outspoken you were about um, uh, speaking out against the military-industrial complex, against interventionist regime change wars. Uh, that was largely what motivated me to run for Congress in the first place. And 
uh, was very outspoken and, and worked on those same issues in Congress and since. Um, and, you know, we have both been vilified by permanent Washington and uh, and and labeled as isolationists and uh, anti-American and, and so forth. Um, so I, I've I have felt that we are kindred spirits uh, in in so many ways. But but I'm just curious, given your experience in Washington, uh, you know, we served at very different times with different things happening in our country, different things happening in the world, and yet experienced exactly the same response from the uniparty in Washington, the permanent Washington that just cannot stand people who speak up for peace, uh, who cannot stand people who say, you know what, the military industrial complex controlling our lawmakers and policies in Washington is dangerous to our country and to our freedom. Um, why is it? Why are they so threatened by us? Why are they so threatened by this message? I, I think I think they're threatened because it sometimes challenges the status quo and they're uncomfortable with it. And there's a special interest involved. Uh, there's a there's a political interest because uh, I'm sure you've been on the receiving end. Uh, but being in the military uh, helps have you know helps, and that is you're weak on national defense. Right. <laughs> and that's what they said to me in the president can't can't campaign. You don't even support the troops. Yeah, exactly. I don't want them to get killed for a no win war. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I uh, I used to think about that. Why 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 they uh, why, why do they like me when they argue in this case? And I got to think. Well, uh, I don't want to go to war. I'm in the reserves. Yeah. I don't want them to start a war. Yeah, yeah. So. I think it's it's it shows really reveals such a disconnect right between kind of the war hawks in Washington who don't hesitate to beat the war drums, don't hesitate to say, hey, let's go bomb this country or that country. Let's go send the troops. Send the troops. <laughs> when really it is such a transparent effort to uh, pretend that they are strong or to pretend that they are patriotic, when in fact, as you and I know firsthand, as our brothers and sisters in uniform know, you don't honor our troops by just sending them to go fight in wars that have nothing to do with our own national security. We honor our men and women in uniform by honoring the sacrifices that they make and that their families make and ensuring that they are fulfilling that mission of defending our country and defending freedom. But, but the other thing is, uh, I'm sure you've been on the receiving end of this. Uh, you know, your policies, yeah, sounds nice, but that shows your weakness. You're too yeah. weak. You don't want to stand up to it. That's neutralized a bit because both of us have been in the military, but that's not the final answer because uh, they get this idea that uh, trying to change policy for the betterment and stand by the Constitution, that is not a weak position. <laughs> you, no. have to, you have to know what you believe in. Exactly. And, uh, that's, and, and, that's fascinating to me to meet people like you. And I, I, wonder, I wonder how they got started on these kind yeah. of programs. And, uh, yeah. and comparing notes are always, it's always very interesting to compare notes with two people who finally get together and say, you know, that's what I believe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you're exactly right. It, it takes more strength oftentimes to exercise restraint and more strength to stand up against those powers that have existed since, you know, President Eisenhower warned against the military-industrial complex and still uh, hold true today. I want to I want to uh, mention a quote that I know you know very well uh, from James Madison when he said, "Of all the enemies to public liberty, war is perhaps the most to be dreaded." Uh, now, this is something that I think a lot of people don't 
know of or think about because so often, time after time after time, when politicians say, well, we have to go to war to defend freedom. We have to go to war to defend democracy. And yet here James Madison is warning that of all the enemies to public liberty, war is perhaps the most to be dreaded. Tell us why he said that and why it is still as true today as it was when he made that statement. Well, it's such a true statement because that uh, that takes a political uh, position of standing up. If you, if you want to be patriotic, you have to join in uh, no matter what. And they fail to look at it in the, in the larger spectrum on, you know, uh, is it a what is a good war and what what did they how did they try to solve that problem they tried to solve it by making war very rare and mm -hmm. it, that uh, a president can't initiate war it was an eye opener for me you know uh, i was uh, uh you know at the drafty age i was in the still just finished high school during the korean war and and even then i wasn't well into all the you know the politics of us where does he get this authority to take us to war? You mm. know, and that was the first time. That was a big thing. That's oh yeah, well we got permission from the United Nations. So globalism comes into this too on on how how to do it. But this issue of war, <clears throat> war is an instrument whereby they can expand the state. And some people, that's their sole goal. So you can understand that. But I expand the definition of war and what he infers there. I'm sure he's talking about war with different countries. But I think the warring type of attitude is what allows us uh, to expand for various reasons. The war against the virus, that's a good war to get. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not, are you in, are you uh, want to fight this war against the virus? Uh, the virus, because you want to uh, expand knowledge and science. Oh, no, they did exactly the opposite, yeah. but it's a war, and they were using and that. And you must comply. Yep, that's it. They had a political goal in that, and so warring against, maybe I could generalize and say, anytime there's a war against liberty, uh, that's a, a broader approach, but that's what that's what we're, I believe, what we're trying to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think as you're um, as you're talking about this, whatever the war may be, whatever they're saying the cause for the war is or the need for the war is, as divided as Washington can be on any given day, whether you're talking about things like immigration or healthcare or any of these other things, I can't think of a single time where the two parties in Washington have uh, taken a partisan line against a war. Almost always it is that uniparty, that permanent Washington that is standing together uh, in support of waging more wars. Um, I saw this uh, as the reauthorization for the Patriot Act came up while I was in Congress and uh, was aghast when I saw how those of us who spoke up uh, against those civil liberties violations within the Patriot Act, those gross abuses of our constitutional rights still existed, how we were labeled as traitors, literally. Yeah. On the House floor, some of our colleagues saying, if you oppose reauthorizing the Patriot Act, you are a traitor and you are inviting another 9-11 terrorist attack on America. You are standing with jihadists like Al-Qaeda against the safety, security, and well-being of the American people. And these attacks were coming uh, from Republicans, uh, <laughs> primarily. Um, the Patriot Act still exists. Democrats and Republicans in Washington continue to rubber stamp it 
every single time it comes up for reauthorization. Uh, when it was first put in place, you were were you the lone vote against the Patriot Act? No, no, there were there were more. I can't remember the numbers, but there weren't very many Republicans. I I remember the vote very clearly because I was sitting next to a, a Democrat and it's a friend, and uh, you know uh, at least we talked a lot. And he was co fairly conservative, you know. Sure. So we were sitting there, and, uh, and and he knew, and I knew that we shared some views. So I was voting there, and there weren't very many no votes up there. So I voted no. And I said, hey, "What are you going to?" He said, "I'm going to vote for it." He says, "Why are you going to vote for it? You know better." He yeah. said, "Oh, I know. You're right." He says, "But I don't want to go home and have to explain it to my constituents." And I said, "That's your job, exactly. <laughs> you know, and and that's the way it was. It was easy for." Him. But how? The other thing that bugged me when I went to Washington is the some votes would come up and everybody would march to the desk. I don't know whether the Democrats mm -hmm. did this. They on the desk they would have uh, uh, if it's a controversial economic matter, and they might list. Uh, 10 groups and 10 businesses here that were for it and 10 businesses over here. So you were to go down there and match it up. Well, let me see, are any of those people in my district and not in my district? And that was the way they, they sorted it out. So staff, staff had to figure that out. You know, what's going on. My staff claimed they had an easier job because, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I told them, I said, you better, you know, you know what my rules are, yeah. don't you? And I said, but you're, you're pretty lucky because you probably only have to, read the title because yes. when the title is up there it'll be exactly opposite of what the title That's is so true that the most uh, recent example of that of course is the the so-called inflation reduction act <laughs> oh, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> that well would it take i don't think that it even been signed into law yet or maybe it was right after like eh, well actually <laughs> that's not what this does and they said it themselves that's a that's a great example my staff um we joked maybe half jokingly that they actually had to work harder because, you know, the, the daily whip notices and the things from the party saying, Hey, uh, here's, here's how you should vote. And here's why, um, I told them to completely ignore those and we got to do the work and we got to do the research to figure out exactly what do these bills actually do, uh, and not rely on whatever the party line, either party line was. Cause as you know, both, both were, were generally biased in one direction or another. So yeah, I know what they you're talking hard. about, <laughs> you know, because when you just dig back and the people who've been there be, uh, before and yeah. they're going to sort of wrote that I had another rule that uh, uh, it, it might be controversial. You might not even think it's a good idea, but I had a rule. Don't hire any former <laughs> staffers with others. Other, oh, I've been here for 30 years and I know yeah. the road and I want to work on your staff. I said, yeah. we're not we're not hiring people like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I want to just jump back to the Patriot Act uh, for a second, because a lot of people have be it's become so normalized. Right. It's been quite some time. What, over two decades now since uh, it, it was put in place, uh, Congress reauthorizes it with a rubber stamp. Democrat and Republican leaders continue to support it. So there's not a kind of frontline mainstream debate that should be happening, which is why there was a 10 year sunset. Uh, on that legislation when it was first passed anyway, so that theoretically Congress could do its job, look at it again, see, hey, are these measures still necessary or should we get rid of them? That, that just doesn't even happen. It's like, oh, okay, the Patriot Act reauthorization is up, put in a vote, and hardly anybody has any real debate on it. Why do you think it is that, um, I guess, the public at large has been 
um, kind of numbed to this and why there isn't more public pressure on Congress to actually examine these things that are in the Patriot Act in a through a constitutional lens and then do their job in making sure that, that our rights are being upheld. Because what you're talking about is very, very superficial. They look at it superficially. And I think in a way, <clears throat> one of my statements a little while ago would answer that question. My colleague is sitting there and he says, I can't, I know, I know yeah. you're right, Ron, but I can't go back home. It's a patriarch, don't you know? So I would think that carries through the why try to explain it? And then uh then then you become Ed Snowden and he has to escape to Russia. You know, that's that to me is so so tragic and he was closer to the to the constitution than the rest of them yeah. and, and the other thing is is that we're facing is that <clears throat> it doesn't some people might not buy this right now i says really uh they keep saying which well, shouldn't there be a third party and i'm sure you get that should we have a third party you know i said i'm, I'm working on a second party <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, so true <laughs> you know the foreign policy is one the patriot act is another one anything political yeah. budget oh the republicans are going to save us so they are going to save us on the budget but they they don't support it they'll even suspend some really really uh, activities going on politically oh we all have to get back and vote for the patriot act or something mm -hmm. like that and mm -hmm. uh, they'll all go back and vote for the same thing but it's it's a political thing it's a pretense and it's maybe a sign of laziness and they're reading uh they're they're reading the leaves and they say well you know if i don't want to have a headache and if i have to go back there and explain that yeah. i might lose some votes and i didn't win by very much last time and they 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 do that and so they're pragmatists they're utilitarians they don't believe in a principle uh, uh you know and i and then you say well what principle do you follow i said well you know uh the constitution might not be perfect but it's a pretty good start for us Absolutely. that's the one we take the oath for so yeah. why couldn't we uh, just follow that on the war issue? Right. I don't know if you've ever heard the little story that uh, happened when we were uh, given the authority to go into uh, Iraq. And uh, I was on the committee and uh, and everybody was everybody, almost everybody was for it. And uh, the debate was going on to giving the authority. And I made them vote on an amendment that said that you have to declare war. And this is it. Declare war. If you want to send kids over there, you have to declare war. Henry Hyde, who is the chairman and one of the most respected members of Congress, he says, oh, I know, Dr. Pauly, you're a good constitutional, but you know, that part of the Constitution is anachronistic. We don't follow it anymore. Wow. That, well, that told me exactly where we were. And it wasn't like he was way off you know, on, on the edge politically. He was the center of it. He was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and we had all those rules about how long it could be, so they just got around that. But if you were an insider, they just switched your committee. So he went from Judiciary over to the Foreign Policy Committee. So then I then I knew where, where we were. But that describes the problem, though, yeah, it does. you know, because he blunted out a real truth, he did. <laughs> you know, there. I have not heard that before. <laughs> Every every once in a while, when you hear these guys teak, uh, talk, that uh, they will blurt out a truth inadvertently, but they yeah. might not even know what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> that's sort of mean, but I don't. No, I it's 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 actually true. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> every now and again, you know, they what do they say? Like they they say the quiet part out loud, right? The thing that no one's supposed to actually admit uh, uh, in broad daylight. And I think it also what you're describing. 
uh, just shows how many people in Washington, and I'm not even going to say leaders in Washington because they're not leading. They are followers and they're, they're driven by fear. Uh, like the colleague that you mentioned on that Patriot Act vote, I've had similar conversations with coll former colleagues of mine uh, and really reacting constantly and making decisions from a place of fear rather than a place of, of leadership and love and appreciation for the Constitution in our country and saying, hey, stepping up and doing my job means going back to my constituents and speaking to the American people about this is why this is important. And this is why this is in the best interest uh, of the country. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, you talked about a few examples, the Patriot Act being one of them, uh, war being another issue. Another that doesn't get talked about much is the Espionage Act. And I, I think there's probably a lot of folks who are listening or watching right now who maybe have heard mention of it, but but haven't really talked about it. Espionage Act of of 1917 used against Edward Snowden, used against Julian Assange, um, used against Daniel Ellsberg, obviously famously for the Pentagon Papers. Uh, so when they go back and look at these different examples, Daniel Ellsberg, for example, the Pentagon Papers, the Washington Post are like, oh, look at this great thing that was done. And yet we fast forward a few years to the Obama administration where more than any other president, he prosecuted people, charged and prosecuted people under the Espionage Act. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? What is wrong with the Espionage Act and how it's being abused and uh, how it can be fixed if it can be? See, I have trouble separating that because I see that blending in with all that they do. Uh, because respect for a uh, for an in, uh, interpretation of the Constitution is careless. So once again, I think they will use the Espionage Act. These are people, they're traitors, and we have to stop that. Mm -hmm. Even though uh, in that practicality, I don't think they've really improved things, it, but it sets the stage, you know, for undermining, you know, the whole concept of liberty. The other thing that I think that we on this side of our argument that we're making is that uh, we underestimate the people. And I'm sure you have come across some very good people. I always, when I first ran and when I was for up election and what I did, it, the one thing is, is the job it no meaning to me, and yet I ended up there for 23 years. I don't know what I was. So the, the job was, but if I took, what if I took, uh, I took votes, you know, trying for the purpose of making a point, and that is passing our gold medals to people who are very, very good for. And I said, well, I don't think that was meant by the founders that we take money from poor people and give them a fancy gold coin. And then by that, back then, it was like $25,000 or something. And these people were very well known. But, you know, that that became a badge of honor instead mm -hmm. of that being used against me. It, so the people, when they hear that, you know, all of a sudden, why, why is he doing it? One time when uh, there was a gold coin for Cardinal O'Connor. 
very, very nice person. And uh, and I voted, I was the only one that voted against his gold medal. And uh, he, he uh, and uh, we we talked on the phone and I explained it to him. I called him and he said, oh, no, that's, that, that's no problem. But the people who were one rail, they were so outraged. It was like 430 to one. And mm-hmm. we, we have to have it. We have to have it unanimous. And in a way, yeah. all of a sudden, if you're making a point of telling the truth, that your one vote becomes equivalent to their nonsense, you know. <clears throat> and oh, the, <clears throat> the uh, New York Times called my staff on that vote, and they said, "Well, well, why voting against theirs? He against all Catholics?" <laughs> and uh, that's it. No, he's just against uh, all gold coins and and uh, on principle. And uh, the New York Times said, "Oh, okay." Yeah, <laughs> they weren't. It wasn't of any interest to them. It was just, it was just that. Well, he could be. Maybe he has a has a history of being uh, against Catholics or something. Yeah, that's how how it is. Yeah, I think that that politicizing of of different votes and different issues, um, and you know, the more that I've learned about the the Espionage Act, the more I've seen how it is one of those things that sounds like it has good intent of being able to prosecute true and willful traitors to our country, but instead has been one of those things that's literally been weaponized as a political tool to go after those who expose whistleblowers who expose truths about those in power that they are embarrassed by or that make them look bad or expose, frankly, even perhaps the, the illegal or criminal acts uh, that have been conducted in the name of, of government and um I had a chance to sit down and talk with Daniel Ellsberg a couple of years ago, and it was just so interesting to me to hear a lot of the things that aren't talked about, about how those convicted or charged under the the Espionage Act, you're not allowed to defend yourself in court. You're not allowed to speak to the intent of, in Daniel Ellsberg's case, hey, why did you release those Pentagon papers? Why did you go and steal those documents and make copies of them? He could not even speak to his intent, and he could not speak... Uh, in his own his own defense, and it's it's one of those things that, you know, especially in this current time under this administration, we see these increasingly authoritarian like tactics being used. Where uh, you know you've got what is it a newly stood up domestic terror unit to go after parents who are protesting at boards of education because they care about their kids' education. These different elements within our government that are being weaponized to go after political opponents or quote-unquote dissidents, um, I think points to such a dangerous time. And I know abuse of the FBI in particular is something that you've been outspoken about. Have you ever seen it this bad before, where where these public institutions are being so weaponized for political purposes? No, it's worse than ever, and uh, it's getting worse quickly. No. But the description that you just made of the Espionage Act, I, I agree with it 100%. But I think that idea is well entrenched in the IRS. You know, I mean, the, the the tax system is so bad. It's based on the assumption that everything 
our citizen makes belongs to the government and you get to spend a portion of it that they give you permission for. So that is a really a big attack on personal liberty. But you're guilty until until you prove yourself innocent. And right. it's pretty hard to do that. So it's the system. It's engraved into it. And there's always a superficial benefits to somebody. And uh, often it's, uh, you know, generally speaking, it's always to help poor people, you know, uh, and, and guess what? If you look at the monetary system and what deficit Deficits do and what wars do. Who suffers the most? You know, poor people. And I'm sure you know some people you've met in the military that might be there for survival purposes. You know, yeah. and and they have a tough time. So it's uh, it's it's something that I I think is uh, uh, just horrible of what what they have done. Uh, to make somebody go through this agony, and it's a it's a violation of individual liberty and, and individual rights that do this. And, uh, and and I I I concentrate often, maybe too often, about a big picture. Yeah, you know, if it's the Espionage Act, uh, yes, but it's also the Patriot Act, and yeah. I think you understand what I'm saying. I it's do. it's a it's a system. It's, a, it's this idea that uh, anything that's pragmatic. And another thing I've decided, I wrote a note to myself, and I was saying something, people, uh, you know, they kept doing this, this, and this, and it was all dumb. I says, I think what happens, these politicians come to, to believe their own lies. They don't start off with saying, well, a little fudge it here because I need this for my vote. They, they just do it and think it's a, a good thing. And uh, they fib a little bit, a little demagoguery here, until finally they believe their lies. They believe mm -hmm. that if we give up, just think, I, I uh, am well aware of the 60s. And I was in the military because I was drafted. And, uh, and, they, and they said, oh, there's going to be a domino effect. You know, well, it didn't happen. There was a more of a domino effect with Western ideas. And we ended up trading with Vietnam, you know, the whole thing makes no sense. And I put a lot of blame on people like myself and others who believe this. I don't think we do a good enough job explaining our position because it's such a great position. It's yeah. so good. It's moral. It's principled. It's constitutional. And it's very practical. <laughs> the domino theory was that if, if Vietnam goes, if South Vietnam goes, that uh, the uh, communists, uh, the, the Chinese and maybe the Russians would just go down and take everything in the South, uh, you, you know, the Far East. They mm -hmm. would just go get that and then it would be Japan and, and they just keep working over. But it was it was a it was a thing that went around a whole lot. And that's why. It was national defense because the plan was they would take over. Sounds like something uh, we're hearing uh, a lot would, in the news lately about yeah. Russia's invasion we, of Ukraine and how Russia is now going to take over all of Europe and therefore NATO must be strengthened and expanded. And meanwhile, uh, Russia is, is struggling even in its invasion of Ukraine to try to hold on to small pieces uh, of yeah. territory. So, and... Uh, and not a whole lot of uh, news stations talk about the events of uh, to 2014. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. we were involved a little bit in that. You know, we're against oh, those uh, those conservatives and others. Uh, they were committing a coup on January 6th, and they're enemies, they're terrorists, and all that. And yet, we're in a, into the coup business. <laughs> all you have to do is look up 
how many countries we've been involved and took yeah. over the government. Matter of fact, I reference uh, 1953 uh, under Eisenhower. He was just in office for a month or two when he participated with England uh, to uh, throw out an elected leader of yeah. Iran. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I tell people the Iranians have long mem- Americans don't have any memory of what they, they do. do. I, I've talked with friends of mine who, you know, were children of people who fled who fled Iran and uh, their memory is is very long and we're still experiencing the consequences and ramifications of that coup, that U.S.-led coup um, at that time. I, I, before we move on, I want to you mentioned the IRS and I want to dig into that a little bit because there was a big bill that was passed recently into law that, what is it, funded them about $80 billion to hire 87,000 new IRS agents. And, you know, of course, the excuse that's given is, well, of course, we need $80 billion to be able to go after the the most wealthy of Americans, the, the very top of the 1%, because they're the ones who are, you know, trying to bypass their taxes. And if you're just an everyday working American or if you're a small business owner, you know, you have nothing to worry about. However, <laughs> there was something that they snuck in there, right? That said, oh, if you, if, if, if I send uh, $601 to, you know, a friend of mine because I bought, I don't know, a couch from him, if I send it to him on Venmo, then that'll give the, that'll trigger a reporting requirement in the bank to the IRS of that transaction. And, and I heard you say uh, when that bill was passed that a supersized IRS will shrink Liberty. Um, I, I can't, I don't know if anybody likes the IRS, uh, but I've never heard anyone connect the growing powers and abuses of the IRS to our civil liberties. Yes. And it is, uh, if you get a new administration in and they share some of our views and they say, yes, we're going to put a better manager on there. Some of that has read the constitution. He'll be more cautious. See, I don't believe that's very practical. I don't think it works uh, because it's too big. And uh, I do think there are people who are very powerful and very, very rich, have a lot of influence on, on what's going on. So it, uh, it does not solve the problem. And that's why why uh, 1913 is a bad year. <laughs> they the the big uh, you know the the taxation the uh, you know the uh, income tax was a big deal and uh, it's a tr- tremendous weapon. I fear the uh, I fear them. That doesn't mean I'm guilty of anything. I just am fearful of, of being going through a lot of nonsense and maybe used. We've heard stories where administrations have used it, and I'm sure they they managed to do that. So that that is uh, re- really uh, the only solution for me is that uh, if you have a country defending individual liberty like founders wanted, you wouldn't have an income tax and you wouldn't have that type of approach where on one sweep, you put uh, 87,000 new people in and uh, and people, some will be gullible. We're going to go get the rich. Well, that's that's, that's not going to work. It's going to hit the average person because uh, the the greatest tax is the most regrettable taxes, and that's the inflation tax. And I tell people, if you're worried about, uh, you know, they they don't worry about who's we just tax so and so, but you're paying it. They dilute the money, devalue your currency. I said the best thing to do is concentrate on your grocery bill, your gasoline bill. Then you will find out who's paying the taxes. Does a rich person, the millionaires, 
billionaires, they care what the price of, of a loaf of bread is. No, right. this, this is them that's just totally destructive of the middle class. Mises, the great Austrian economist, makes this strong. He says, if you have a fiat currency that you continue to devalue, you will destroy the middle class. And there was a time in our history where the middle class was very instrumental in our prosperity. So, Ron, you you ran for president three times as president. What what is the solution? What what taxes uh, should be in place? Um, and and how would the IRS look under your administration? Would it exist at all? Oh uh, no, I wouldn't want it to. Uh, I would have to. You know, you have to think about the circumstances. You could do some of that with executive orders, but you might want to have a Congress. None of that is going to work on dealing with the IRS or the uh, or the Federal Reserve. You have to have the support of the Congress, but you have to have support from people. But some of this, this is where I become more optimistic because people are waking up. I went in 76 and uh People would come out, what in thunder are you talking about? You know, you talk about Austrian economics and the gold standard and all this stuff. It's different now. And people, you know, because things are the bubble and the distortion and debt is so much worse than it was in, in the uh, 1970s when we had this horrible decade, uh, decade. And they finally did admit that the monetary system is in bad shape and they had to declare bankruptcy. We are no longer able to honor our dollar. And uh, I'm surprised that we survived so well. Now, uh, the chickens are coming home, the roost, the people are suffering. And you, you know, you can live beyond your means, spend too much, run up too much debt, but eventually the people who have been doing okay, which is the middle class, they did okay, they will have to pay the bill. And that's what we're doing. We're paying the bill. And what we do about it, uh, I don't think the solution is there. You could uh, you could do executive orders. You'd, uh, you'd have to sense on how much support you could get. But ultimately, I believe it's an educational process that, uh, and I spend a lot of time in education. I think our, and I think you've talked about education. The, the education system is it's, it's government. And just think about how our cover, our country was started. The the great universities and the great hospitals were started by private individuals, not the federal government or the yeah. United Nations or whatever. So that's that's, uh, that's where it is a real problem. But I uh, I got fascinated with Austrian economics back in the 60s, and there were predictions that the Bretton Woods would break down, and that was a big event for me uh, in understanding what what went on. But I I and of course I have a homeschooling program to try to promote that. But I think ultimately ideas are important, and I also believe that the government we have is only supported when it's supported by the uh, concept of the, of the people, the uh, general uh, acceptance of this. And now that we're starting to see some shifts, that's how COVID really ended. The people's attitudes change. So that that's what has to happen. Yeah. And everybody has a responsibility to change those attitudes. Yeah, you know, you mentioned education and um uh, the the overreach of government and and what are we teaching our kids? I was homeschooled. I didn't know you had a homeschooling program, but I was homeschooled. My parents are teachers, and they had a very specific um, goal and in, in how they wanted to raise us and what kind of education they wanted us to receive as kids growing up. So they taught us at home, 
And that back at that time, it was uh, not as kind of um, normalized as it is now, but uh, I loved it. And it was an incredible experience. And I look at the experience that I had as a kid growing up homeschooled. You know, I went out, I did martial arts, we surfed, we played tennis, we did all this other stuff. We had a lot of extracurricular activities, but um, it was the kind of education that my parents wanted for us. And you compare that now to, of course, what played out in the national stage in Virginia, you know, when parents were told by former Governor Terry McAuliffe and the National Teachers Union, talking heads on MSNBC and so forth, that, uh, you know, as parents, you don't get a say in your kids' education, that you don't, you're not qualified, I think they were told, you're not qualified to speak on your child's education, that the teachers' union knows better, the state government knows better, the federal government knows better. <laughs> and and it's just, it, it, it's incredible to me. I put out a tweet recently saying parents should be, parents are responsible for their raising of their child. And that, I was excoriated on Twitter for saying parents are responsible for raising their children, not the government. <laughs> how how that has become a controversial statement uh, in this day and age, I think, is a, both a sign of how um, you know wrongheaded our government leaders are, but also on the positive side, what you're talking about, how more and more parents, maybe who weren't politically involved or paying attention before, hey, if you're going after my kids, no, that <laughs> is where that line is crossed and getting yeah, more informed. And educated, uh, and also just looking at the facts, like the government, uh, we have what ha almost half of kids graduating from high school functionally illiterate. So if the government's saying, "Hey, we we are responsible for raising and educating our kids," well, gosh, you are failing. You are failing our children in so many ways, focusing on the wrong things, and the most fundamental basics of education are being are being missed. Which kind of goes to your other question about taxes because <laughs> we're paying for this education all of us are <laughs> and where are the so, results so now you now you let the secret out now <laughs> i understand things much better because whenever i meet somebody that seems to uh you, you know think <laughs> and you think don't meet a novel concept <laughs> you don't have you don't have many up in washington but i thought wow i wonder what exactly uh, yeah. What's her background? Where did she do? Did she read Hayek or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's homeschooling and yeah. parents. And yeah. there's there's a solution. It's not complicated. And that yeah. was one of the reasons why, as soon as I got out of Congress, I started this. It's the Ron Paul curriculum, and mm. it's not gigantic, but it's uh, of course I think it's good, and yeah. it's uh, it's fulfilled. You know, some difficulties during COVID, uh, we had some, but but it's something that. Uh, I, I think as, as long as we can still express ourselves like we're doing right now, and as long as we can still get to an educational system that is out of the government, in the 1980s, they were really cracking down hard on homeschooling and private schooling and church schools. That was really a bad negative. So, yes, they're going to be always a threat to homeschoolers yeah. and private schooling because, uh, you know, if there's a my, most minor infraction there, somebody's going to crack down on. But I, I think it's, you know, I think it's just great. So I was delighted to hear your story. <laughs> well, you, you've you raised, you know, you've raised your own kids, one who's gone on to be a U.S. senator. And and I really, I really enjoyed working with uh, Rand while I was in Congress. Uh, we worked on different pieces of legislation together. He was the only senator who co-sponsored my bill, the Stop Arming Terrorists Act, 
uh, <laughs> went and shared it with every every single member of Congress, every single member of the House, every member of the Senate. He was the only one who had the courage, why it would take courage to sponsor a bill called the Stop Arming Terrorists Act. Again, confounds me, but he was the only one with the courage to put his name on that legislation and was my partner in introducing that bill. He obviously has been very outspoken about the dangers and threats of gain of function research. Uh, he has been very outspoken in holding people like Dr. Fauci accountable to <laughs> science and the truth during a time in our country over the last few years of this pandemic where even asking questions, even asking questions of the authority deemed you a threat and someone uh, who must be censored or silenced or smeared. Um, two questions for you. One, personally, you raised Rand, uh, and he, is, he, is, he has come to be a, a person of courage and principle in the U.S. Senate. Uh, what were the values and principles that were important for you to instill in him and your other children? And then secondly, what is the cause of us living at a time where they say, follow the science, but when you question the facts, uh, when you question their thought process, when their quote unquote science has proven to be wrong because new information comes to light and they won't apologize or admit it, why are, why, why are we in a culture now where uh, this marketplace of ideas and discussion is so feared that working with big tech, our government now has to shut down anything that they deem as misinformation uh, again, even though at a certain point, even in the near future, their statements are proven and their policies are proven wrong. Well, we're dealing with cultural Marxists and uh, they have a determination. They know what kind of society they want. And they have believed from the very beginning of Marxism that you have to destroy what is left or what you have, start with a clean slate and, you know, give us pure Marxism. So that's their their goal. And therefore, their greatest enemy is truth. And uh, they become very nihilistic in the sense that uh, you, you don't know the truth. So you can't listen to these people that want to talk about the truth of the Constitution and, and the basic fundamentals of telling the truth. That's an enemy because that challenges the people that, that resort, uh, resort to, uh, you know, cultural Marxism. And uh, what, what they do, this wokeism becomes their religion. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the people who, don't believe in truth. They don't believe in a higher being and they don't believe in a higher law. So what they do is they just go along and they devise it. They become, they become the arbiter. They become, uh, you, you know, a cult and they become godlike. And they say that there can't be truth, but the only truth they have is what we say. We determine everything is true. Yeah. And, but yet, yet they say, you know, Nietzsche said, there's no way. There's no way you can decide what is true and what is not true. Well, a few of us uh, disagree with that. And I think most people in the world throughout all of history, from the beginning of time, even before Adam and Eve, there was a recognition of right and wrong, good and evil. And uh the the Marxists, the people that want to have this control, they uh, they they recognize the problem, but they want to be uh, t total total dictators. Now you ask a short question, I think about Rand, yeah. and uh, you know we have five five kids, and three of them are physicians, and we've lost one uh, one daughter uh, not too long ago from cancer, and he uh, he was uh, 
I, I, we, we never, you know, you, you can't say, well, well, we've groomed Brand to do such and such. No, he was always independent minded. He was always a little more attracted to politics than the rest. But he, uh, I, I remember when I was out of Congress for 12 years and I was going back in in 96, he got really involved in it. He was, he, he likes organization. He's a more detailed person. And I never cared for that. I just wanted to talk about the Federal Reserve, but he, yeah. he, he took off, he took off school uh, and came and organized the family. He says, you will go out and lock the doors and that sort of that. That wasn't my thing, but he, he did a lot in that 96 election where it wasn't easy uh, to go back into Congress that late, especially especially when uh, just about uh, every Republican uh, opposed me, you mm -hmm. know. But but no, but he's he's been interested, and in, I'll tell you what, I think he's he's doing a great job. But he uh, he he has a, he he he's fearless, and yeah. I think uh, you know in that sense he's. Um, uh, he he's not. I, I would consider myself a little bit bashful about. Can't you guys wake up? So, but 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 he but he's I think just doing great, and he's yeah. uh, he. I think people know that he is seeking truth, and one of the person that needs the most discipline and truth that's a public figure right now is that guy Fauci. So yeah. that's a good target. And I think they'll always remember Rand's battle with Fauci. So yeah. Rand has already warned him, if the Senate is controlled by Republicans, you'll hear from me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I have no doubt about that. It was interesting to see as all of that was playing out, how this guy, Dr. Fauci, that many people had never heard of before, was almost lionized as some kind of untouchable, un, you know, unquestionable uh, deity of some sort. And, it, it, you know, for any public figure, whether you're an elected official or you are a bureaucrat, as Dr. Fauci has been for decades, uh, you are accountable to the people. By design, you are accountable to the people. And to see um, Rand and others criticized for just asking questions and holding him accountable uh, was actually, is actually pr pretty frightening uh, for the country. You know, the most outrageous thing, and there was plenty of outrages with uh, uh, with Fauci, but when he says, I am science, exactly. and he is the oh least gosh. amount of science. And I forgot they, about that. You're right. That's how they <laughs> turn things around. It's sort of somebody was reading 1984 or something. Language means yeah. nothing. And yeah. so I am science. And, uh, you know, uh, in medical school, Debates were very important. I love the debates. The professors debated, the students debated, and uh, it was if there's no debate and science has settled it, uh, you know, it gets pretty boring. Yeah. But science doesn't settle it. If you think science has settled it, you don't know what you're talking about because science has produced many more questions, you know, exactly. and that's how knowledge is accumulated because it isn't like we'll end here. We we know everything we need to know about uh, about vaccines. Oh yeah, uh, natural immunity. That used to be something we learned in medical school. Mm -hmm. Oh, but now it doesn't mean anything, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and we don't we don't follow that anymore. Uh, we we talked to Bill Gates. He has some ideas. He said it'll be good for his bank account. Like he needs more money. Yeah, exactly. So. exactly. <laughs> but, they, but he wants control. He, he's a control person on population. So that's what his interest is. You, you know, I, I want to just point on something that you mentioned. I, I'd forgotten Fauci's statement of that saying, I am science. But it actually, when you peel back the layers on that, like you said, 
what we're seeing are these people who essentially believe that they are God, that they are in control, that they get to determine what is right and wrong, what is truth, uh, or what is not true, and and really how dangerous that is when when we look at our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and that recognition of those inalienable rights bestowed upon us by our Creator, they are designating themselves as that authority, that higher power, and that the rest of us are their subjects. That that's really how dangerous this mindset is that they have. Uh, another example that we see of this, of course, is, is their denial in the truth that there are differences between biological men and women <laughs> and how that's being manifested through their different policies, obviously related to sports and other things. But when you peel back, the, this is bigger than, than you know sports. This is, again, about their rejection of the fact that there is objective truth and them placing themselves in that position of essentially being God and how offensive and how dangerous that, that mindset is and that spiritual, um, that, that spiritual rot where, where that's coming from. So somebody was, uh, you know, explaining this and I was in the presence there and he was sort of talking to me about no biological differences. And I said, boy, I'm in trouble. I don't know if you know it. I'm a gynecologist. <laughs> and I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand the differences. And I also understood very early on that I probably the, uh, uh, back then uh, you were almost allowed to teach whatever they wanted. To. They actually taught if you're going to take care of a pregnant woman, you're taking care of two people. Mm. And there's a legal argument for that, too, because I was also taught that if I did something wrong and injured the fetus, I could be sued. So right. I always knew there were two two individuals. But this but this whole thing is is uh, I, I, I told him, I said, I'm going to be confused. So I, I don't even know if they'll let me in medical school anymore. <laughs> in this day and age, I don't know. That, that's actually a legitimate question. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, I, you know, Ron, I spoke a few months ago at this incredible event uh, hosted by the Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, an organization that was founded, I believe, in the wake of your 2008 presidential campaign. And, you know, I had not uh, done anything with them before. This was down in Florida. And so I wasn't fully sure what to expect. But my gosh, I walked away so inspired. I had <laughs> the privilege of sharing this huge room, this huge hall with, it was, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 college students who were so fired up for freedom liberty, the constitution. I think they've memorized every single phrase and soundbite you've ever delivered. Uh, they were screaming them out, they were hooting and hollering. And I, I, was, I left really feeling energized and inspired because these kids were not just kids who came there showing up for a good time on the weekend and then forgetting uh, what they heard from different speakers and talked about and then going back to their everyday lives. These kids are fired up because they understand the challenges that we face, the challenges that you have spoken about for years, um, and, and that continue to um, that continue to increase, and they're going out to do the work. So to to them and to um, people at home, whether they be parents or students or people who are working in different jobs, to our men and women in the military who are concerned about the culture of leadership of this country, 
Um, as we as we wrap up our conversation, I'd love to hear your message to our fellow Americans about the threats that we face to our civil liberties now and what is our responsibility as individual Americans to be the change and be a part of the solution? You know, I, I get a, uh, that question asked when crowds like you, at, you uh, mentioned at YAL or if I go to a campus in the campaign, they'll come out and say, you've convinced me. I understand now. I see the light. Tell me what I have to do. Yeah. And I always I tell them, do whatever you want to do, mm. but just do it because everybody has their own thing to do. You have, you, you've done your thing and you're still doing it and things move along. Everybody has, has some responsibility and everybody is not equal in the sense that everybody knows, knows how to run for Congress or should run for Congress. Matter of fact, sometimes young people come to me and they say, yeah, I want to do what you do and I want to run for Congress. I say, don't do that. You, it's surprising <laughs> if, you, if that's what you really want. It's, it's the first temptation. What do I need to do yeah. you know, to, to get that? But you know, those crowds really impressed me too. Uh, Jeff Frazee actually was my staff person at the uh, congressional office, and then he got uh, YAL started. And I was at a crowd like that, uh, and I, I was talking to Jeff. I said, the one thing about YAL, because they, I think the college kids get a bum rap, and I think some of them deserve it. But <laughs> <laughs> it depends on where my university. But I said, I see, I see young people like this. This is the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. They care about finding out the truth about, oh. And I said, but what really impresses me, I say this, uh, they come in and they're well-dressed. Yeah. Uh, they don't come across, they don't have, they, they're not sloppy, which is sure. there, you know, the libertarian right to do whatever you want. And Jeff, uh, Jeff said, <laughs> but you can also have some rules on private organization. Yeah. I said, it's almost like they have a dress code. And Jeff smiley says, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, they fully encourage them. You know, uh, I'll bet you saw some kids in there, young people with shirts and ties and the yes. girls dressed. I think, I think, you know, people should be, and you were uplifted from this. I really and was. That, that, that is, uh, that's a great story. It, it is. It, it gives me hope. It gives me hope for our future. Like you said, you know, uh, college kids get a bum rap. I think that the fact that basic civics uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights are not a focus in our education system is, is a huge part of the problem. And we have people graduating from high school and going into college uh, without any of those basic understandings or appreciations. These kids um, proved the opposite. And mm -hmm. even if they are not yet the majority, um, these are our leaders of today and tomorrow. And, uh, and, and like you said, maybe some will run for Congress Maybe others won't. Some shouldn't. I have found that those who are super, super, super eager to run for Congress uh, maybe aren't the right ones and the ones who are kind of the unwilling uh, people running for Congress, but who are doing so as a call to duty uh, are often the right ones who are protected from the getting sucked into the swamp. Regardless, they're, they're as you said, I, I could not agree more. There are so many ways for every one of us to be active. And that was much of my message to them. Uh, is to use your voice, be a voice for truth, be a voice for freedom and liberty, and stand up for our Constitution, because that's what our country really, really needs most um, right now. Great advice. <laughs> it's so good to talk to you, Ron. I hope we get to talk again soon, and I'm in touch with your team as well. Um, I, I was not able to make it to your last conference in D.C., but 
I'm going to find a way to you. I'm going to find my way to uh, you there in Texas or DC or somewhere. Cause I want, yeah, I want to come be, and visit with you. That, that'd be great. Uh, you know, if, if you're getting over this way, uh, we, we can get you moved around when you're in the 48 part. All right. All right. <laughs> and I, there's people have offered to help. And, uh, sometimes the, the, the whole way is a little more difficult, but keep us up to date on the schedule and maybe we can get will. together. But of course we have the function in November that we're working on right now, Absolutely. but Tulsi, thank you very much for having me on your program. Thank you, Ron. It's so good to see you and, uh, be safe and be well. Thank you. I feel like this conversation with Ron Paul um, could have gone on for hours. Uh, what that man has been through, the battles that he has fought on the floor of Congress and uh, in the marketplace of ideas in our society, uh, there's, there's, frankly, there's nobody like him. Uh, he wrote in his book called Liberty Defined that war feeds the growth of the state. The state is nourished on the liberties of the people. James Madison said, of all the enemies to public liberty, war is perhaps the most to be dreaded. History supports both of these statements. The Espionage Act was passed in the height of World War I. The Patriot Act was passed in the wake of 9-11, two of the most corrosive anti-constitutional pieces of legislation in U.S. history, both grossly violating our fundamental civil liberties and both passed in the fog of war where no one dares to question the wisdom or intentions of our noble leaders for fear of being labeled a traitor. So instead, too many are, are intimidated into silence, even people who hold high titles and, and sit in positions of power. They cower in fear. In the name of patriotism, we become less free when we have leaders who don't care to protect our freedom. Benjamin Franklin once said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Now, our founding fathers weren't perfect, but they had a powerful vision. There was a lot that they understood that seems to be lost on too many of our leaders today. Maybe it was because in their lifetimes, they truly lived and understood what it meant to not be free. They understood firsthand for themselves and their families what was at stake. They knew what they were fighting for. Well, we need to understand what's at stake right now for every one of us. This is not someone else's problem. We have to make sure that our voices are heard. We have to stand up to protect our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our constitution. We have to stand up and protect our civil liberties. We need to stand up and to protect the foundation of this country, inspired by the vision our founders had for us, not only for today, for our families, for our lives and our freedoms, but for those who will come after us so that they will still know what it means to live free in America. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I look forward to seeing you and talking to you next week. Mahalo.
Hello, everyone. This is Tulsi here. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on the show. If you would like to support this show and the content that we're creating as we take a stand for freedom and speak truth and speak with some common sense during these insane times, please visit TulsiGabbard.com and click on the support button. Uh, The only way that we're able to produce this show is through support from listeners and viewers just like you. Again, visit TulsiGabbard.com and click support. Aloha. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.